This episode of The Cutting Room is sponsored by Grass Valley's Edia 6. Check out the new Edia 6 at www.grassvalley.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This episode, I'm going to finish off my interview with Jeffrey Richmond. After the interview, no one's gotten our four-word film review contest yet. So we'll talk to Lauren about that. We'll also talk to Lauren about royal weddings. This episode, Jeffrey Richmond and I discuss Sicko and, of course, his favorite guilty pleasure film. I'd like to jump to Sicko. Michael Moore has a very specific cutting style and storytelling approach. Did you find that you were encouraged to cut in a particular way when you were cutting on this? Or? No, not a, like a particular editing style. Yeah, no, actually, on the contrary. We had a lot of time to work with the domestic stories about insurance denials and the pharmaceutical industry um, before we even got the footage for Europe and Cuba. And we cut a lot of scenes. It was three editors on that. Yeah. And we each we took turns on cutting the scenes in many, many different ways. They shot just tons of stories and a lot of the sort of juggling act on that film was figuring out how many stories we can fit without it becoming too luxury and boring. And so as we were shifting scenes around, we would just try cutting them in so many different ways, playing them as transitional examples of insurance denials or playing them as entire scenes, that standalone scenes, or playing them as jokes you know, playing them for humor or playing them for emotion. And so we had uh, quite a few months to actually experiment. I mean, it was the the range of emotion that we would apply to any given scene between, you know, say, September and February was huge. And so there was no real limitation on how to approach any given scene. Because he has a very almost like, I guess it's because he puts himself in the films, too, but you always get that sort of feel of a more film whenever you watch them. Yeah, I mean, and that helps a lot. And it, in fact, it took a long time to figure out which of these stories we want to actually lean on as our emotional beats in the film and which ones we can sort of breeze through a little bit more quickly and which ones we're going to be presenting as you know humor and which ones we're going to be presenting um, seriously. And his voice really helped guide that because once you cut a scene and decide that this is the emotional like the story of Julie Pierce you know once we decide that this scene is serious you cannot play this as comedy Uh, it's just too emotional to be used to be done in any other way then just structurally you need a little bit of a break before that because you can't have too many really down depressing uh, emotional scenes so you need a little bit of a break before that in order to get into that more emotional stuff and so working backwards, that kind of dictated how some of the earlier stories would be presented. Because um, some, some of the stories with the insurance companies are ridiculous. I, I, like, shocking. And it, it's hard not to present them as comedy. Because yeah. <laughs> you just can't believe it. They're just, they're, they're that nonsensical. And so after the months that we spent structuring all these stories and anecdotes, Michael could grab a microphone and spit out a track of voiceover that very clearly set a tone for the scene. Just by what he was saying, yeah. it was clear this is, this is serious and, and this you can laugh at because we all know this is ridiculous, so laugh. But then now we get here and this is, we're not laughing anymore, yeah. You mentioned that you worked with three editors, so how did you split the work 
and and yet maintain a uniform uh, feel to the film. It was just I mean it was just like any other collaboration. We would uh, we started by breaking up the the different acts into into scenes, right? And then we, like I said, we would shuffle we would hand off the scenes from me to Dan to Chris and back and around and so we would each cut the scenes in a different way. And then once we settled, you know, months into the edit, once we settled on an over uh, overall structure for the film, an act one, act two, act three, then we can more easily break up entire sections of the film. So one of us would work on act one, the other would work on act two, the other would work on act three, and um, it sort of found its, it sort of settled and wasn't shifting a lot of scenes around, it just settled into this is the film, now we need to make it play with the right momentum and the right flow um, one act to the next. And so we were all working together all yeah. the time, so it wasn't like we were in our separate <laughs> apartments and hoping that each one would, you know, we were down the hall from each other yeah. so we can check in and we would always see each other's scenes, yeah. I'd like to jump to a bit of Murderball and then wrap it up for you because I know you got to sure. run, but uh, Murderball, again, jumping to that first opening section of the film, yeah. how did you go about structuring that? Because it sets up everything perfectly but uses this juxtaposition of different storylines and different elements to help set us up for the entire film. Very similar to The Cove, it's just, it was one of the last things that we figured out. You know, the earlier cuts of those first seven minutes or eight, ten minutes or whatever are just a checklist of exposition. But in that, you set up, um, like you take this exposition information and again you do something unique with it or something that makes it engaging for us. So I think about how you set up the rules of Murderball. Right. It's all trickery. You are, you know, like the, the rules of the game, for instance, that was a very difficult section to place because there's just one or two too many bits of exposition that have to get thrown at you and before you lose the crowd. And so with Rules of the Game, what we did is once we got the, the setup of the US versus Canada rivalry to play really well, then going into the Sweden game, the audience is hooked. Yeah. And so you kind of use that advantage by saying, all right, we're all, um, we're all in for this ride, for the big Sweden showdown. Yeah. And then, hold on one second, we just have to tell you this yeah. one thing, this rules of the game that, um, and then no one cares because they're all in it. They're all with you for the ride and they'll excuse a quick tangent. You know, it helps that it's animated. Yeah. So for a while it wasn't animated, but having it animated just feels felt like this will be a short tangent. Let me just, let's just show you this in the most entertaining way, and then we'll get back to the game. And the same thing is true for all the earlier exposition. It became a matter of stripping away as many voices as possible that were not our main characters. So that it felt like you were meeting people that you're supposed to meet, and they're telling you the story of Murderball and quadriplegics and all this stuff, and not just a bunch of random people telling you information. And in a lot of the earlier cuts, we just took all the best bites that gave that exposition and put them into the cut. But because they weren't our characters, it just felt like information and not yeah. like uh, we're following characters. Now, what about structuring Joe and his dynamic against Supan? Because that plays a huge role in the arc of the film. Right. And so how did you go about, uh, I guess, introducing his character and his conflict with Supan? The first step was doing the, just setting up the overall rivalry between the US and Canada. And it's very easy to set up Joe yeah. as the two-dimensional character, as just the guy who defected and he's now coaching the opposing team and so we hate him. 
but there's so much more to his character and that's what later in the movie yeah. yeah and that was obviously part of the trickery of structuring not trickery but part of the struggle and structuring act two is figuring out where best to place that stuff so it doesn't feel like we're force feeding you sort of sympathy we're just moving into joe's world and learning a little bit more about him at the right time so that when we move into the game in Vancouver, for instance, you now have a new understanding of the opposite side of the story. Um, and that scene with his family in Rhode Island was crucial um, to get, and they shot that actually during the editing process, like over the summer. You know, at that point in the editing, we knew we needed more information of Joe on a more personal level to, level to give him more depth. And so when they shot that scene with his family, they knew to interview as many family members as possible to get a more three-dimensional view of Joe. Yeah. Placing that before Vancouver ended up being the most strategic place to put it. But it was just devastating to see his relationship with his son and how much his son wanted to be a yeah. part of his Yeah, but you don't, you, you know, that's great and it's, it's yeah. funny, and but you don't want to just hate the guy. No. And so you need that stuff that comes later and you need it to come in a spot where it doesn't feel like we're we're just forcing our hand and saying, no, Joe's a nice guy too, you know. Yeah. It has to feel like it comes part of, as part of the organic flow of the story. Each of the games differs cutting in a cutting approach. Uh, so like the very last game against Canada is drastically different than the first game that we see. Yeah. So how did you approach cutting these uh, scenes? Very similar to the two missions in the Cove. Okay. It's just we needed to present them in two very different ways so it didn't feel repetitive. Mm -hmm. and. One of the hardest the, uh, games to get right was the Vancouver game because we actually had the Vancouver game as the climax of the film for a long time because we had to cut the movie throughout the first few months of editing with the assumption that we wouldn't get Athens because there was questions about whether we would even have the clearance to shoot in Athens and there was a question of whether US and Canada would even play against each other, yeah. let alone the results, yeah. just whether they would play against each other. and so. We couldn't just stop editing and wait until September when they were going to shoot that. So Vancouver was the third act of the film. And so we cut that to be this big game. Once we got the Athens game, and that was clearly the third act of the film, the Vancouver game had to be cut in such a way that it was interesting and engaging and fun to watch, but not too big that it felt like, why, are we, you know, why is Athens such a big deal? There was a lot of recutting and recutting and recutting of the Vancouver game just to find that middle ground balance because Sweden is clearly the setting up of the the conflict in the, in the movie and Athens is clearly the payoff of that and Vancouver is this sort of middle ground where you don't want it to be too big but it can't be so small that you wonder why it's a scene in the movie. Yeah. The Sweden game is cut really murderballish, yeah. you know, with the crash Aggressive, montage yeah. of like crash, 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 boom, bang, and. Um, the, so the Athens game, we just took the exact opposite approach. It's at this point in the movie, you get murder ball. We don't need to sell you on the rough and tumble side of it. And you also are, you feel for the characters at this point in the film, hopefully. Now it's more about the characters and how the game will play out for them. Now I have one last question that I ask all the editors and that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film? <laughs> guilty pleasure film. <laughs> I don't know, I, there's a movie that I loved and watched many, many times called Electric Dreams that um, is this um, love triangle between a computer and a, a man and a woman. 
and it's really cheesy and it's done in the 80s so it's full of like these really bad 80s graphics and uh, computer dream sequences yeah. <laughs> um, kind of done like with the same graphic style as like Lawnmower Man when it was like that early stages yeah. of um, 3D it's like graphics. groundbreaking but yeah at the time yeah. right um, and but I just loved I, I watched that movie many times back then um, I don't watch it anymore though so but I just it's a very nerdy film that I love that was the final part of my interview with Jeffrey Richmond with me right now is Lauren Woodcock Raquel. and the two of us are sitting in our I Heart William and Kate t-shirts. Yeah, I've got William's shirt on. And I have Kate's shirt on. Naturally. It says Mr. Kate Middleton on my shirt. Nice, nice, nice. Yep. Kate Catherine Middleton. Yeah. Yep. Now, we also have our cups of tea of to celebrate this royal wedding. We are part of the Commonwealth. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much why we're talking about the... the or because it was so exciting. Yeah, we didn't really watch it. I watched parts of it. Did you? Not not live, but I watched it when I got up. Uh, I was boycotting it. Okay. Anyways, enough talk about the royals. We fulfilled our requirement as part of the Commonwealth. So, but they don't want to hear about us. They want to hear about no. forward film review, Lauren. What Naturally. Week? No one got it. So, mm. I don't know. What should not our, trying. Very hard. Should we give them another clue? And it was a tricky one, but... I wouldn't say it was a tricky one, though. It was I think, well... I don't know. I think it was a little bit tricky because it alludes to two different films, but it's actually about the third film. Um, but um, the clue was the big gill. That's gill. And uh, if anyone wants to take another stab at it, you know, I think you guys can do this. Um, pretty well-known film. Yeah, I'd say pretty well-known. Yeah, and... Um, and good. Interestingly enough, the editor of this film is not the director's editor right now. Oh, well. Yes. This <laughs> so is the only film. So many people are now saying, click, I know exactly what you're talking about. And of he was course. just honored recently. Oh, so many hints. Oh, man, I just gave it away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But. Yeah? Where can they, <laughs> where, where can they send everything? Info at artoftheguillotine.com. Or on Twitter, it's at Art Guillotine. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Art Guillotine. Now, there's one other thing I want to talk about before we wrap up tonight, Lauren. Yes. And that is uh, Edit Fest is coming up. Sure is. So same as last year, I'm taking part in Edit Fest with uh, the American Cinema Editors and the Manhattan Edit Workshop. The first one's going to be in New York, June 10th and 11th. And already they announced that they're going to have the editors of Back to the Future there. Cool. Discussing the trilogy. Awesome. So... Were, was it the same editors on all three? Yes. Oh, good stuff. You can go to the American Cinema Editors webpage, which is ace-filmediting.org. Or you can go to Manhattan Edit Workshop's editfestny.com website. And you can get all the information there for New York's and the upcoming LA Edit Fest. So Lauren, this is I think our, our point of signing off. Wait a second, did anyone ever say which one I should go to? Oh, I didn't post that last time. <gasps> oh my God. So um, something that you don't know is that Gord edits me. 
He censors our conversations, so you only get the best of him and some of me. But okay, so what was, I, what was it I was supposed to put in last time? Last time, I had asked the question, which Edit Fest should I go to this year? Should I go to the New York one, or should I go to the LA one? Because sometimes I travel with you, and I'll go to them, and um, we have a lovely time in the, in the hosting city. But um, really, you need to make this decision based on shopping in the area, and um, things to occupy yourself with when your partner is not around, because that's what I'll be doing. I would say New York for shopping. Well, but LA is warm and lovely and... I'd like to thank my producer, Laura Burkell. I'd like to thank the American Cinema Editors, the Manhattan Edit Workshop, my sponsor, Edius, as well as Jeffrey Richmond. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>